You are now listening to In Conversation with Mr. O, the podcast dedicated to machinery and equipment maintenance, reliability, and operations. It is presented by MRO Magazine, Canada's industry voice for maintenance and asset managers since 1985. I'm your host, Mario Suwinski, editor of MRO Magazine. Our guest today is Scott McKenzie, Senior National Manager of External Affairs at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Canada, or TMMC for short. Scott joined TMMC in 1999 in manufacturing operations, before moving to a position in quality control. Since then, he has held roles in supplier preparation and development, purchasing, corporate planning, and government affairs for TMMC. He recently assumed all external affairs responsibilities for both TMMC and Toyota Canada, including government affairs, regulatory affairs, public relations, and corporate communications. His role in government affairs has seen him at the front lines of several key policy negotiations, most notably as a trusted advisor to the federal government on its successful negotiation of the Canada-United States-Mexico Agreement, or CUSMA. Mackenzie was born and raised in Kitchener and holds a Bachelor of Environmental Studies degree from the University of Waterloo. He resides in Waterloo with his wife and two children. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Today we'll be looking at maintenance at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Canada's plants in Ontario, as well as a focus on the environment. First, having visited Woodstock and Cambridge plants in the past, it's easy to see the many autonomous robots moving around the plant. Can you discuss how autonomous robots are utilized at TMMC plants, please? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mario. I'm looking forward to the discussion today. You know, if we look around our plants, automation has always been a focus at TMMC. Um, Autonomous robots are just an extension of that. So automation for us is about finding ways to eliminate non-value added work. So it could be things like uh, focusing on parts delivery line side. It could be focused on inspection, Um, things that don't actually add value to the vehicle, but, uh, you know, have an implied cost. In terms of autonomous robots, um, we've had automated robots delivering parts line side for more than 10 years. Actually, our Woodstock plant, initially we had almost 500 automated robots focused on parts delivery. But uh, the technology was a little bit limiting in in that the robots are focused on uh, following a metallic strip along the floor. Um, So it's a fixed position system. Whereas uh, the autonomous robots that we're now using uh, actually in all three of our plants, uh, and we have several different kinds, they're a lot more flexible. Um, You know, they can be changed on the fly. Um, We have a a particular unit right now that you can just put it in teach mode, drive it, and then uh, throw it in auto, and I'll just repeat the process over and over again. So the benefits of uh, fully autonomous robots are that, uh, you know, they're increased flexibility and, uh, you know, quicker to make changes. Do you have a certain amount of uh, how many of those that you use? Uh, I'd say between about 10 and 20 right now. Okay. Um, and on the production line, how many robots do you use on your production line and what sort of tasks do they perform? Um, across our three plants, we've got about 2,400 robots. Um, the vast majority of those, uh, about 2,000 of those are in our weld shop. Um, and they're primarily doing welding, but uh, also doing pick and place. So across our entire plants, robots are typically doing one of two things. One is some functional responsibility. So for instance, in our weld shop, that would be welding. 
Um, it could be MIG welding, it could be resistance spot welding, um, but the second is uh, pick and place or transferring uh, parts from one location to another. So we've got uh, over 2,000 robots in, in our weld shops uh, across our three plants and then a smaller number, we've got about 200 in paint, 100 in plastics, 45 in our press shop. But uh, similarly, they have the, the two main responsibilities. One is some functional responsibility. So in paint shop, they're literally painting. Um, but we also have pick and place or transfer. And how does maintenance on these robots look like? Uh, periodic. So we run two shift operation across almost all of our plants globally. If we don't run two shifts, there's usually some specific uh, reason for that. But uh, you know, within our production system, uh, we plan for downtime on a daily basis where we can do TPM or preventative maintenance. Um, a lot of our uh, maintenance on robots would be um, hopefully uh, preventative maintenance. So we'd be doing it in, in outside of production hours, but uh, we obviously do have uh, challenges in production that we have to respond to quickly. You know, if a robot were to go down. Um, in some cases, we'll have backup processes to work around that while the robot's being repaired, um, but it's just all part of our regular planning process. And how, how is the reliability on the robots? Very, very high. Um, you know, our overall <clears throat> production uptime, we plan to be running 96% uh, of the time. So having our line available and the availability of robots has to be more than that or else it'll become the limiting factor. So I don't have a specific number on the robots themselves, but we plan for a significantly high uptime in our production processes. So you have, you know, say a, a robot were to go down, you have I guess contingency plans in place, you know, mo moving a different robot into place or something like that? Yeah, and it depends on the particular application, but sometimes we'll have, uh, for instance, in welding, we'll have backup robots that are programmed to do, uh, you know, out outside of normal processes. Um, we also have backup manual processes where welding can be done, uh, you know, by a person holding, for instance, a resistance spot welder. Um, in some cases, if it's a critical robot, we'll have to, you know, stop the line and, and repair uh, as quickly as possible. But in almost all cases, we've got redundant processes, so we've got some sort of backup system. Do you have any new robots that you'll be adding in the future? Um, we continue, you know, you, you brought up autonomous robots earlier, but we continue to uh, experiment with new uh, autonomous robot technology. Um, I, I'm actually at the plant today and walking through the plant, we've got a, a new system um, mm -hmm. by a new local provider that we're trialing for delivering drive shafts line side. Actually, you mentioned local. Uh, the robots that you have and, you know, the autonomous vehicles, are those tried to source them locally or from, I guess, international companies? Um, in terms of autonomous robots, uh, they're almost all local. Um, the benefit of us operating in southwestern Ontario is that, uh, you know, we're surrounded by a, a tech hub. Um, there's quite a few companies um, operating in that space in southwestern Ontario that are able to provide, you know, technological solutions for things like, you know, autonomous robots. One in particular is ClearPath Robotics. They're a, they're a Kitchener-based company. Um, we've been working with them uh, for a few years uh, using their auto system. Um, but we're also trialing, uh, you know, a couple of other, I'll say, competing manufacturers just to see, you know, what's available in the marketplace. But we're often trialing things and just seeing if they'll work. 
switching gears, uh, apart from the robots, what other machines are used at the plants and how is maintenance, repair and overhaul done on those? Obviously, you know, we have seven press lines in our in our plants, uh, you know, stamping panels that we use in, in our body shop. Uh, but the other thing to, you know, understand about an automotive manufacturing plant is we have moving conveyor lines, um, delivering vehicles um, and, and also moving people um, through the manufacturing processes. Um, you know, we've got a lot of uh, torque systems, whether they be pneumatic or electric torque systems, because uh, a lot of the, you know, assembly is done by fastening. Um, we've got lift assist, uh, a lot of the components and parts, and obviously the vehicles themselves um, are quite heavy. So uh, basically moving either parts or vehicles or people um, through the plant is basically all done by machines and robots. You know, in terms of how the maintenance, repair and overhaul is done, it's similar to the, my previous answer. Um, a lot of it is planned. Um, so we'll do a lot of uh, preventative maintenance either off production hours or even on weekends. We'll often install robots either on weekends or on our planned shutdown periods. And we, we typically have a week in the summer and uh, a week in the winter around Christmas time. So we'll do a lot of our equipment installs at that point in time. But in terms of general preventative maintenance, that can be anytime in non-production hours. Um, but you know, obviously if something goes down in production, we just need to adjust and uh, you know, repair on the fly. Do you have a spare part space at the plant for all the machines? Yeah, um, depends on the particular machine and you know what's the mean time to failure. But uh, we'll have backup parts available. You know, motors for uh, conveyance lines are, are always a, a particular area of focus. Um, but it depends on what the anticipated failure mode is um, and, and how frequently we'd have to do it. That would determine how much inventory we have on site. And is the maintenance done? uh internally by tmmc or do you use uh, outside contractors we have uh you know if you, you look at skilled trades um you can have different types of skilled trades operating inside of a you know automotive manufacturing plants um for us they're all maintenance members so they're often uh, multifaceted so we we have millwrights and electricians and um you know every type of trade that you can imagine but we classify them as maintenance uh, members and we try to have them multi-skilled so, uh, you know, we have several hundred maintenance members uh, across our three plants whose focus is keeping our lines running. And, uh, you know, they are staffed accordingly to make sure that they have the particular skill sets for their particular areas, but their key focus is being able to repair and recover uh, machinery and equipment as soon as possible uh, so we can maintain that, you know, particularly high uptime that we're, we're seeking. And do you utilize CMMS sensors and automated fail-safe systems? For CMMS, we, we have an in-house system that we uh, developed around SAP. Um, we use SAP for a lot of processes inside of our plant, but uh, you know we've got a, a system where we automatically schedule preventative maintenance tasks um, through that so we can keep track of what's been done and what needs to be done. In terms of sensors, um, we're starting to move into more of an AI space where we've got a lot of uh, vibration sensors um, that we install on machinery and equipment to, you know, see if it's becoming abnormal or, or vibrating more, in which case it could be that, you know, a bearing is starting to go. Um, and the idea being is if you can notice that beforehand you can you know go into the production line and off peak hours switch out of components and then it you know, never actually fails so i guess a lot of your maintenance is starting to become you know 
AI influenced where, you know, instead of the, you know, the old style, you know, guy with a wrench testing everything, it's, you know, you're, you're, you have technology doing that for you. In a lot of cases, obviously we've still got uh, to use your wording, the guys with the wrench um, fixing problems. There's some things that you can't plan for. So we have to have that skill set on site, but, uh, you know, our goal is to run as efficiently as possible, meaning the most uptime. Um, you know, we target 96% uptime, but we'd love to get the 97 or even 98. Um, that's actually very hard to do. Um, but the only way we see being able to do that is actually to anticipate failures before they happen, because um, then you're you're reducing your actual causes of downtime. So a lot of that is is moving into the uh, anticipatory space. So that could be using things like vibration sensors to detect whether something's going to fail. We also use infrared cameras to see, uh, you know, if a motor is running uh, hotter than it should be. Um, but those are ways that you can detect problems before they happen and, and hopefully catch something before it actually fails. Yeah, I always use the analogy of the wrench because uh, Mr. O, which is uh, the magazine's mascot, it used to be a guy with a hard hat and a wrench, and now it's uh, <laughs> a guy with a tablet in his hand. So that's... Yeah, we've uh, got We've got both. Um, you know, we've we've got yeah. typically the same guy might have a wrench and a tablet, but obviously, yeah. you know, yeah. being able to program and uh, you know bring a machine online with uh, yeah computerized interface is necessary these days. But at the same time, if you got to remove a motor, you need a wrench. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, manufacturing is becoming more and more environmentally focused. What initiatives is TMMC taking to ensure that they are environmentally friendly? You know, we've got a long history with this going back to, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we had a, you know, a living wall in our paint shop, which is basically plants, um, you know, on the wall in our paint shop to actually capture, you know, carbon emissions and, you know, convert it into oxygen. That's just one example, but uh, most of it is focused again on being highly efficient. So uh, in terms of electricity consumption, um, that's, uh, you know, moving to using less electricity and creating less demand on the grid. So that could be switching out all of our lighting applications to LED. Um, we have a solar wall in our Cambridge plant. So it's a, a huge, I don't even know how long, maybe 40 meter long uh, wall on the outside of our building painted black that uh, you know heats up with the sun during the day and we circulate that air through the plant. So it makes uh, less of a demand on our HVAC systems in the plant. But then, uh, you know, looking towards the future, um, there's only so much you can do in terms of uh, running a, an efficient operation. So we're looking at, uh, you know, substituting out uh, towards new technologies. And, and, you know, we continue to investigate how do we use hydrogen, as an example, uh, in our manufacturing process uh, at the expense of natural gas, because you can be as efficient as you can with your um, current systems, but at some point, I think we need to start looking at other technologies if we really want to, you know, uh, move the dial in terms of being environmentally focused. So, are you like, for example, let's use uh, motors. Um, are you using more, you know, electric motors at the plant level, not at the vehicle level? Yeah, like we're using a lot more uh, electric motors for our torque, torque control systems in the plant, um, as opposed to pneumatic. Uh, Electric is a lot more efficient than pneumatic. In pneumatic, you get a lot of air loss um, through the airlines. There's still, uh, you know, a, a use case for for pneumatic guns and, and pneumatic torque uh, equipment in the plant, but we are starting to move more to, uh, you know, electric style 
Um, that's a, a general focus on being efficient, and that's really you know a single piece of equipment uh, changing out at a time. But uh, per my earlier point, you can only do so. There's only so much opportunity really in that space. Um, you can be as efficient as you can, and we are um, you know seeking to do that. But at some point, we need to look at other types of solutions. And how would you say that TMMC is reducing its uh, carbon footprint, sort of along the same lines, using different machines, different practices? One example actually would be, uh, you know, in 2018, uh, you know, we changed over both our north and our west plants to make the next generation RAV4. Um, we have a new bumper paint line that we installed that's uh, a lot smaller in terms of its footprint. Um, you know, considerably smaller than the previous one, and you might wonder, well, what's that doing? But it's it's an environmentally controlled area. It has to be, uh, you know, kept at a, a consistent humidity and, and consistent temperature. And because it's a lot smaller, it requires a lot less energy um, to do that. So a lot of it is actually focusing on slimmer, smaller um, equipment to do the same job uh, that you know a, a particularly large piece of equipment would have done previously. Um, you know, just building on that again, uh, looking at new and more efficient equipment. Uh, every year, you know, equipment's being developed that's more efficient than it was the year before. So as we get through our regular replacement schedules, um, you know, where equipment comes towards its end of life, we're always looking for, you know, a, a more efficient, less energy intensive um, piece that we maybe didn't have available when we installed it in the first place. And then, uh, you know, we're looking at things like uh, electric vehicle and, and even hydrogen applications for, uh, you know, our on-site parts delivery. So right now, uh, you know, we have an, an electric truck um, that we're electric powered truck and shunt truck that we're using to deliver parts on site when we're trying to, you know, uh, prove out the validity of that and, and hopefully, uh, you know, expand that or even looking at, uh, you know, hydrogen fueled trucks on site to deliver parts that are uh, you know not using diesel or, or gasoline you have a bachelor of environmental studies uh how have you been able to utilize that at tmmc <laughs> yeah interesting um that's what i went to school for but uh, i really didn't use that until probably the last five or six years obviously you know the skills that i, I learned from going through that program i was able to apply but i didn't really have a maybe a direct connection to what I do. But uh, about five, six years ago, I, I moved into a strategic planning function. And then uh, I've also been working in the government affairs space. And, and now I've taken over all of external affairs. So, uh, you know, seeing the big picture um, in terms of uh, what we're using uh, in terms of energy at, at the plant level and what we could potentially uh, move towards in the future, I think it's been, uh, you know, a good background for me. Yeah, I was reading your uh, bio before we started, so I figured I'd throw that one in there. Um, okay, uh, beginning in uh, 2022, uh, TMMC will be manufacturing the Lexus NX and the NX hybrid SUVs. This is in addition to the RX and the Toyota RAV4. TMMC operates award-winning facilities in Ontario and will do so for the future. Can you speak about how the investment in TMMC will unfold and how it benefits the workforce and surrounding areas? So the investments you're referencing um, for RAV4 that, you know, we put in in 2018, um, NX, because it's on a similar platform to RAV4, uh, we're still going to have significant uh, investments for introducing NX into our production lines. But, uh, you know, a lot of the underbody and, uh, you know, chassis 
investments were already done um, when we did RAV4 because we had basically converted to our new TNGA um, platform in two of our plants. Um, you know, we consistently over the years have gone through model changes every five to six years where we are, you know, changing out uh, equipment uh, to make, you know, a new model, but we haven't often gone through a platform change. And uh, that's platform changes could typically be anywhere from 20 to 25 years. Um, so to go through platform changes in both, both of our north and west plants, you're really compressing um, that investment into a small um, period of time, but you're also, you know, uh, preparing yourselves um, for two plants being to the latest level of technology and capability for, you know, the next 20 to 25 years. We'll be looking at uh, doing that at our south plant um, in the not too distant future, but what that allows us to do is have the latest level of equipment and technology in place to, you know, make the latest versions of any vehicles that Toyota decides that it's going to produce. So uh, the investments we made in 2018 um, were largely responsible um, for us getting that award of business for the Lexus NX. It prepared us, uh, you know, to do that. And, you know, those changes plus what we're going to go through in our, our south plants in the not too distant future should, uh, you know, position us well for, you know, winning any future vehicle mandates that come our way uh, coming forward. Yeah, I was able to... Uh... You know, this was, would have been a year ago, but uh, I think I was at the plants about four times there. Once they had the mm -hmm. prime minister was there for one announcement, then they had uh, the premier of Ontario for another announcement. So um, a lot of good news stories coming out of the TMMC over the last couple couple years. Uh, how do you see this uh, sort of benefiting the workforce and the surrounding area around Cambridge, Kitchener-Waterloo? Well, it's it's around stability, right? And uh, we've never been an automotive manufacturer that you know works in peaks and valleys. Uh, we like to keep uh, consistent, stable production. You know, we can flex upward using overtime. Um, often, we uh, you know we'd prefer to be in that situation than uh, you know the opposite, where you have to, to flex downward. But that happens from time to time. But, uh, you know, migrating to the new platform in both our north and west plants, uh, as I said already, um, we are well positioned, you know, not only to make the vehicles that we have today, but if we were asked to make some other future vehicle in the future, we've got the platform uh, investment already done. So it puts our plants in a very strong position to, you know, continue fulfilling our current mandates, but also to, uh, you know, hopefully absorb some future mandates in the future. So that's good for us. Um, it's good for our team members um, in the Cambridge and Woodstock areas because it gives them some, you know, a, a sound footing or, or some stability going forward. And uh, it's obviously good for the broader community um, because we've got, you know, a consistent employment, um, you know, working in a, in a world-class facility, an award-winning facility um, that's also adapted to the latest technology and well-positioned for moving forward. Now, Toyota uses a, a multi-technology approach to greening its vehicles with hybrids, plug-in hybrids. Do you, would the plant be, if you, you know, if things went where, you know, it had to go electric, uh, would the plant be able to handle that? Yeah, actually, thanks for asking that question. It's a good question. Certainly a topical one with, uh, you know, some of the announcements that have been going on yeah. with other automakers recently. But yeah, absolutely. So. You know, it's not well known, but uh, we made a fully electric uh, RAV4 between 2012 
vehicle in 2014 in partnership with uh, Tesla. The, the vehicles were only sell, sold in uh, certain markets in the United States, but uh, we've already proven that we can make a, you know, a fully electric vehicle. In addition to that, last year across our three plants, uh, we made over 80,000 hybrid vehicles. Um, and hybrid vehicles, even though they do have uh, an internal combustion engine, they've got many of the same components that a fully electric vehicle would have. It's got a motor, it's got an inverter, it's got a battery. Um, so that capability is uh, you know, already in place um, in, in two of our three plants. Uh, we're making hybrids in our west plants uh, in Woodstock, and we're also making them in our south plants. Um, we're not currently making them in our north plant, but that wouldn't be a particularly uh, difficult challenge uh, to introduce that based on need. Um, you know, before COVID-19 hit, we were on track to build over 100,000 hybrids here. So, you know, as consumers, um, you know, move into, you know, a space where they're we're choosing more electrified options, whether they be hybrid, plug-in hybrid, fully electric, even fuel cell vehicles, um, our position has always been that we can't, you know, force uh, a consumer to buy a particular technology. The, the market's going to decide what cars we make. Um, you know, some automotive manufacturers are, are moving rapidly into the EV space, and uh, that's fine. That may have, be of some strategic benefit to them, but we think the market is going to decide what vehicles that we make. But we think we're pretty well positioned to make any of those vehicles. We've got experience making a fully electric vehicle in the past. We make, uh, you know, a hybrid, we call them self-charging hybrid, but we make, uh, you know, a significant number of hybrid vehicles now. And it, it would not be a, a tremendous challenge um, for us to move to, you know, fully electric vehicles in the future. One of your responsibilities is uh, government affairs. Um, you were on the front lines of the Kuzma negotiations. Can you tell our listeners how uh, that experience was? Uh, it was interesting. Um, you know, I don't have a, a background in international trade, but I have a pretty strong background in terms of, you know, how cars are made. And uh, early on in that, and also, you know, just to add to that, I spent about 10 years um, working in a technical purchasing function, uh, managing our supply chain here. So not only how the cars are put together, but how parts get to the plant and where they come from. Um, I had a pretty good knowledge of that. So when we got into the discussions around Kuzma, or it was NAFTA 2.0 at the time, and eventually became Kuzma, um, that positioned me pretty well for conversations with the Canadian government, um, because they're looking for that sort of advice, meaning they'd put a scenario in front of you and say, what if this happened? How would that impact you? And I was able to answer those questions, uh, you know, relatively quickly. So uh, I built a pretty good relationship with the Canadian government. So, you know, I was a cleared advisor, um, still am, uh, to the Canadian government in terms of uh, Kuzma. I also worked on uh, CETA and CPTPP as well. Um, but that's my role is to basically answer questions and, uh, you know, describe how Toyota would maybe respond if a rule changed, uh, in, you know, in a particular way. I guess I'd be remiss if I uh, didn't ask about, you know, has, uh... COVID impacted uh, TMMC in any way? Um, sure. Uh, on you know March 18th, we stopped production <laughs> due to COVID-19 yeah. for the better part of eight weeks. Um, you know, in our period of downtime, not only ourselves but other automotive makers uh, were, were trying to figure out how we could safely you know return to production while protecting our team members. There was 
frankly, a lot of information exchange between OEMs at that time because everybody was in the same boat and, you know, it's, it's not really a competitive environment. You're all trying to figure out how you can get back to work while also uh, simultaneously protecting your team members. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good dialogue um, with them. And then in middle of May, um, we put in several um you know very specific processes whether it be uh you know return to work surveys uh, entry procedures into the plant standards uh around personal protective equipment while you're in the plants um you know ensuring either physical distancing or physical separation for every single process in the plant a lot of work went into that and uh you know it's been so far successful um, we've had zero transmissions uh, within the plant. We, we had a, a few team members who have contracted COVID-19 outside of work. And, uh, you know, we're able to contain that because they're informing us. And we're telling them not to come into work. But uh, inside of the plants, you know, we, we feel that we've got very strong processes. We continue to build on those processes. Um, you know, we learn new things every week. So, uh, you know, we think we've got a very safe working environment where you know people can come into work and feel safe and and not be at risk of you know transmitting the disease should they you know be infected outside of work actually i pick up uh, press cars from toyota's head office and i find that you know it's one of the they're the most strict when it comes to uh you know when you go in there you got to fill out a form you got to get the check mark to come in even the the key is given to you in a you know in a ziploc bag and then the security guard you know puts a lysol wipe on it before he gives it to you so it's very you know make make sure and then the cars are all sanitized it's got a little sticker on there and everything and even a little goodie bag if you want to clean the inside of the car yourself too so yeah we've got uh we, we're a company built on standards you know uh, we've yeah. got a world famous production system that's built entirely on developing a good standard and, and making sure you follow it. And that, uh, you know, that flows out into other areas like a, what, what I'd call like an administrative space. But uh, even something like that, like picking up a vehicle at our head office, we're still going to develop a, a strong standard and make sure it's followed. And, yep. uh, you know, the other point of that is we've got an excellent partner. Um, that we use to, uh, you know, support us. And, and they're very good at making sure the, you know, the cars are exceptionally clean uh, and sanitized and making sure that, uh, you know, if you're going to go into our vehicle, you're not going to be exposed to, uh, you know, any unnecessary undue risk. And it gives you an extra feeling of safety, I would say, when you, you know, that, you know, that the where the company has done all that, you know, gone above and beyond, you know, just the minimum. Yeah, and absolutely right. And that, you know, coming back to our production processes, it gives our, our team members here, you know, a feeling of confidence when they see all of the work and effort that's been put into place to, you know, keep them safe. They feel a lot more secure. And, uh, you know, we, we try to follow that same line of thinking to everything that we do and making sure that, uh, you know, you as, uh, you know, a partner of ours, or, you know, reviewing vehicles, um, you have the same feeling of comfort and safety that, you know, one of our team members would have coming into the plant. I guess my last question is, uh, during the COVID shutdown, were you able to do any uh, preventative maintenance at the plant or was everything just completely shut down? No, um, you know, we were early on uh, declared an essential business in Ontario. So most of our production team members, you know, were, were, were asked to stay home and, and stay safe. 
Um, but we did have, you know, our, our maintenance teams, we did have uh, production engineering and manufacturing engineering, um, you know, a small number of people, but we still had people in the plants uh, continuing to, you know, uh, do things to make our plant more efficient, more safe. Um, so there was still work being done, but it was just a, a smaller amount of people. Okay, sounds good. Uh, thank you very much, Scott, for coming on In Conversation with the Mr. O Podcast. Uh, it was a lot of great information for our listeners to take in. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. I appreciated the chance to talk to you today. It's an interesting subject. It's exciting times for automotive uh, in southwestern Ontario, not just for us, but for some of the automotive makers here. I think the uh, you know the recent announcements by other OEMs are, are pretty exciting for the industry. Um, it shows that uh, you know Canada is a good place to invest and that we've got a, a lot of strengths here that OEMs can take advantage of. And uh, we look forward to uh, you know continuing our investment here and looking at uh, opportuni- opportunities that are available in southwestern Ontario. But uh, exciting times and uh, you know, I'm glad I could join you today and look forward to future discussions. Okay.